Well, it's 10.02 New Zealand time, and as we reach the midpoint of the year and get into winter down under, the sport through Europe in particular starts to really heat up, including the famous and vibrant clay of Roland Garros. Uh, although this year is a different shape to it, to the draws with a few, uh, let's say, noted winners missing, the typical fr- frantic and emotional nature of Grand Slam tennis is already on full display, with big names faltering, young stars making their claim, to be the star put up in the Paris lights. Now, Alex Gruskin is with us now. He's the editor-in-chief of Crack Rackets. Uh, and, uh, Alex, first of all, good morning to you, New Zealand time. Uh, good afternoon, uh, American time. I just wonder, uh, do the Americans get right into the French Open? Is that the hardest one for them to grasp? Well, let me just say, for me personally, any major doesn't actually start in the tennis world until you guys are kind enough to have me on the show. So this is my official start point always for Grand Slam tennis. But I think to your early point, there's kind of a malaise in the sports world right now, right? Especially here in America, NBA finals wrapping up, NHL wrapping up, no American football till the fall. If tennis is ever going to have a chance to shine, because let's be honest, what else is there to do all day? This French Open is the opportunity for it to do so. You are the editor-in-chief of Crack Rackets. Tell us about it. Great name. Well, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, our, our whole thing is about providing coverage of the sport day to day. And tennis is a wonderful sport in the sense that Monday only matters until Tuesday. Tuesday only matters until Wednesday's quarterfinal round. And it really is a sport that every day provides you something a little bit different. You don't have to dare I say, beat down the same storyline over and over again. And that's what we try to do at Crack Rackets, whether it be, you know, the the professional level, the collegiate level here in America. There's a lot of good tennis happening around the world, obviously in Paris right now. That's where we're focused. And yeah, we just try our best to shine a spotlight on it all. Alex, uh, tell us a wee bit about this uh, episode or this edition of the French Open. Are we just now going to have to get used to life without Rafa? It's the question on everyone's mind. And I do think, and I say this as a thorough, I mean, if you were to list the things in my life I love, I would say probably my mother number one and then tennis number two. But I'd only say my mom one because I know she's listening. Um, Outside of that, (laughs) with that in mind, I should say it's a little boring right now, in particular on the men's side, because you're absolutely right. Rafa was the man who at this event in particular loomed above everyone else. And through these first few rounds, it's, it's definitely a little weird trying to figure out, okay, who is the front runner? Is it a Djokovic? Is it an Alcaraz? We're in an uncertain place in men's tennis for the first time in about two decades. And it's both fun, but it's definitely a little weird. Where do you sit with uh, Novak Djokovic? Uh, Of course we've, we've had, the, the scenario where he was basically booted out of Australia. Uh, now we get into uh, the scenario where he's starting to um, almost make political statements uh, on on victory. Um, and the, the, it's mixed reaction to that, although it's deemed that, um, particularly going forward, um, they don't mind. Uh, the authorities don't mind about his uh, statements about Kosovo. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I will say... It's tough because you sit across Djokovic in the press room. That jawline is just glistening. And, you know, he's a very handsome man. And so it's hard to get too angry with him at any given moment. At the same time, 
certainly as his platform has continued to evolve, he has gone about using that platform to be politically active. And I think he is certainly the most polarizing figure right now in all of tennis. It helps that he's extraordinary, you know, probably the best men's tennis player we've ever seen. And I think you know, when the rec- when it's all said and done, he will hold all of the records if he doesn't already have them in his possession. The The final few years of Novak Djokovic will be fascinating. We will see some sort of documentary on them, likely produced by him. Novak will be the first person to tell you his story. Um, but you're absolutely right in the sense he has evolved beyond just figurehead from a tennis perspective. He has taken it upon himself to be an activist to both detriment and positives across the tennis universe. Well, with racket in hand, he still appears uh, pretty ruthless. He's just uh, uh, advanced himself through to the third round with a straight sets uh, victory over the Hungarian uh, Marton uh, Fuksovic, uh, and he looked pretty ruthless. And in his that. hair, again, just to emphasize, the hair has been flawless for a decade and a half. He's the only person I've ever seen whose hair looks exactly the same at the start of the match and an end of a match. And you're just like, that is superhuman. Yeah, I really never noticed it like that. You, you, I mean, I've got to start taking a, a much bigger look at this crack rackets because you go deep. <laughs> look, like I said, there's no storyline we won't skip. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, let's uh, talk about this uh, this young sensation, this um, Alcaraz Garcia, who's the number one seed here, who is uh, part of the new breed, the new wave, and the new hope for tennis. Yeah, he is something else. He is one of those superhuman sort of generational talents as an athlete, and you watch him as a 19-year-old, and you know, no 19-year-old, or maybe he just turned 20, no 20-year-old has any business being that athletic, hitting the forehand as well as he does. And I think the scariest part is that he appears to be such a finished product. You know, his he already has minimized so many of his weaknesses. He's maximized his forehand. I think him, we're going to really nerd out here. I apologize. But him standing on the ad side of the court, that left side, sitting and waiting to hit a forehand, it's the single most dangerous thing we have in all of tennis. It's just, you know you're going to lose the point at that point because he's so proficient from that corner already. But then you remember he's 20 years old and You know, you look at the trajectory of someone like a Djokovic who really didn't physically hit his stride till he was 24, 25, 26 years old. And that's the scariest part or the best part if you're a tennis fan is right now, every scenario you can imagine, they're all legitimately in play. You want to make an argument he's going to win 30 slams someday? I can't laugh you out of the room. Like that's that's how good he's been. I've said that he's second best men's teenager ever behind Rafa. And it's like, we see it. We get to enjoy it. It's it's really fun because usually you don't realize history is happening until after the fact. And I do think we all have a sense of, no, what this kid's doing is really, really special. Alex, uh, we were all uh, looking forward to uh, the performance of Medvedev. We didn't have to wait long and we won't be seeing it again for a while because uh, his exit was very (laughs) early on in the piece. What did you make of that? It's interesting because Medvedev had his best clay court season of his life. He made the quarterfinals in Monte Carlo. He wins Rome, one of the biggest lead-up events to Roland Garros on the tennis calendar. 
it was the first time he'd ever won a title on clay courts, and he did it beating some of the best players in the world, beating the Tsitsipas's, beating the Zverevs and Runas on his way to the title. And then he dropped the stinker. Like, it happens. That's what makes tennis so fascinating is on this day, he just, you know, he's it, manufacturing pace on clay. Again, nerd alert. We'll get a sound effect going. Um, he did just str- he struggles to manufacture pace. He plays at the other person's terms on clay courts. And I do think if you're him, you accomplished what you set out to do the first five months of the year. He's number two in the world. He'll be no lower than three after this tournament ends. And he's perfectly positioned for the part of the calendar where he's best grass courts, hard courts. At the same time, he was one of five guys who entered this event with a legitimate could legitimately say like, yeah, I can win this thing. And, you know, to lose first round, obviously never hot take coming. So brace yourself. I don't think he wanted to lose first round. And so I'm sure he's a little bit disappointed. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, OK, let's uh, let's look at the three guys who <laughs> didn't lose first round, who are you two of whom you've already mentioned and Tsitsipas and uh, Rune. Uh, and Kasparud as well, um, another part of this new wave coming through. Are we likely to see a winner out of that bracket? Rude, Tsitsipas, Rune. Yeah, it, it's really fun. And do you, you know Legos, like the, the Lego, the kid toys that you build the structures yep. with? You know yep. how they have Lego humans? Holger Rune is a Lego human. Like he looks like a Lego, comes to life. And the reason I bring that up is sometimes the things he does as a 19-year-old, you're like, this guy was made in a factory. You're like, this isn't real. Like, this this cannot be what we're actually seeing from a 20-year-old kid because he just makes it look much like Alcaraz, so easy. You can just tell he rolled out of his crib at a year, you know, two years old. He had a racket in his hand, and he's had it in his hand ever since. And I do think of all the guys you mentioned there, Holger's the one I'd circle because he made a couple of finals in Monte Carlo in Rome in the buildup to this Roland Garros. He's a guy who, look, in the past year has beaten a Novak Djokovic, has beaten a Daniil Medvedev, has beaten, you know, all or Tsitsipas, excuse me, has beaten all of these guys he's going to need to beat. If I was to circle one player who hasn't won a major who you have to watch at this event, I do think Holger Rune is the guy. Interesting. Right. Uh, can we go to uh, the women's side of the draw? And first of all, because you are the Oracle, we now know that, uh, and your podcast, is uh, it is the Bible. Um, please give us the actual, the actual, because there's so many variations on this, the actual pronunciation of the women's number one seed from Poland. If you say it, I'll, I'll it's say a great- it. It's a great question. You have to check Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 19, where you can find the official pronunciation, Iga Sviantek. So you sneak the N in before you get to the tech. It's Iga Sviantek. And she is the one seed for a reason. I mean, I think I, I started out by saying the men's side is a little confusing. The women's side has never been better. The women's game is after a year or two of post-Serena uncertainty, God, is it fun to be a fan of women's tennis right now because Iga, who just turned 22, she's the fifth youngest player ever to win three major titles. She is very much the favorite, I would say, to win a fourth at this Roland Garros where she's won two of the past three titles anyways. And yet, as generational as she is, you have two players in Arena Sabalenka and Elena Rabakina 
who just hit the cover off of the ball. Like I, again, not to get morbid here, but if you asked me, Alex, would you give up the last month of your life to serve like Sabalenka for the rest of it? I would say, here's the month, charge me on the credit card, put it on the debit card, whatever I have to pay with. I'm going to play more than a month of tennis the rest of my life. And God, would it be fun to just rip 125 mile per hour winners at will. And so it's a legitimate arms race. All three of these players, Rabakina, Sabalenka, Sviantek, they're all superpowers. And I, I just, we haven't been in this place in women's tennis in about a decade. And it's, it's really shaping up to be a fun French Open because of it. Alex, we have not Did I talk, answer that uh, question, Sviantek? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sviantek, Sviantek, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. Here's the thing. Um, we've talked about a lot of players here already um, in this little interview. Uh, we haven't mentioned an American player. Where is your tennis at? Well, having just come off the court myself, I can tell you I am going to remain happily retired. So the name Alex Gruskin is, is if you see me in a tennis draw, max bet against because I'm not winning anything anytime soon. Um, but I mean, look, Jessica Pagula on the women's side. I think she's really clearly the fourth best player in the world. The problem is the first three are just that much better right now than everyone else. On the men's side, if you take out Djokovic, if you take out Alcaraz, you can absolutely throw some Americans in the mix. If you want a Taylor Fritz, a Francis Tiafo, Tommy Paul just made the Australian Open semifinals in January. There are some good Americans we just don't play a lot on clay. We're we're a hard court breed. Now, why that's the case, I'm not sure. But I, I, I don't think I think Wimbledon will be the more time to focus on the Americans. Unfortunately, if you're an American tennis fan, uh, then probably this French Open. Okay, uh, what's your favorite slam? It's not, I would say my favorite event is Auckland. I don't know if you know much about New Zealand, but I think it's a heck of a country. And it's it's the number one spot on my destination. But beyond the pandering, um, if I were to answer my favorite slam, it's a great question. <sighs> I'm weird in that I'm partially nocturnal. So I really like Australia because everyone's fresh. Everyone's hungry. If you're a crazy fan, you're up to like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. every night. And I am one of those crazy people. So I love that thrill of it. And it just it gets the year off racing. And so I think I would say Australia because everyone's healthy as well. And it's just a lot of you're dreaming of possibilities that early in the year. Well, next time you're in, uh, and you're in Auckland, and uh, it's nice that um, <laughs> you know so much about it. When you leave the tennis centre, walk down the road towards the harbour, you'll find a pub called the Paddington. In that pub, you'll find a lot okay. of people that work for this, this radio station. Introduce yourself around. They'll, they'll shout you free beer all night. That's what I like. That we're talking pints all around. <laughs> Absolutely, pints. We don't drink the. We don't drink uh, little glasses over this side of the. Uh, uh, this side of the world. Hey, uh, your, your, hey, Alex, your favorite. Your real. Your favorite. Your favorite podcast that you've done, and you've done hundreds, I would imagine. Again, my ooh, it's tough. We've had a lot of good guests over the years. Uh, we oh, that's a great question. Um, favorite interview I've done is probably, Ooh, I mean, whenever you're in the press room with a Federer or a Nadal or a Djokovic or a Venus or a Serena, 
they actually glow. Like there's a reason they're superstars is they walk in and they just radiate fame. And it's just fun to be in those sorts of people's presence who, you know, I grew up watching play. Best interview we did. I'll say the next one. That would be the answer. Keep listening. It's only going to get sorry. I'm full of cheesy one liners today. No, you're great. Oh, you're great. Do you, do you, have you had much to do with McEnroe over the years, um, John? He is a character. That's a great suggestion. He's very, you know what? Great answer. And I appreciate you leading me there. Jim Courier is, you're just not going to find a smarter and funnier tennis player who has forgotten more about tennis than I'll ever know. And he's very forthcoming and sharing it. And he's now a commentator for so many matches. Courier. And yes, John McEnroe, just because you're going to laugh for at least 10 minutes. Alex Griskin, uh, this has been fascinating. Uh, we're going to call you again. We, we've got to have you back on this, uh, this show because um, you're the man. Uh, you're the man now. Crack Rackets <laughs> is, uh, is going to be uh, um, very much sought after on this side of the world. Uh, you're going to be very popular at the Paddington. And um, all I can say is thank you for your insights there. Um, really cool. And now you can go and have a shower. Yeah. Oh, let the record show. I did not shower. I stayed in prime form prior to this, straight from the court <laughs> to the interview. I like a player. I wanted to give you the authentic experience. So I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, Alex. Uh, it's been great chatting to yeah. you. I'd love to do it again at some stage. You have a terrific uh, remainder of the day and enjoy the rest of the French Open. Thank you, sir. You as well. Be safe. Be healthy, my friend. Yeah, cheers. Uh, same to you. It is 10.20 here on SENZ. What a character. And Crack Rackets. Yep, you've got to look at that. Uh, fascinating. Uh, we'll be back very shortly.